Welcome to Hoops Royalty. I'm King Jimison, alongside my man in Cleveland, Karna Venkatraj. And you know what? The Memphis Grizzlies might not be dancing anymore, but we can still dance. We can still dance in the intro music. Okay, Karna says no, but we're here to bring you Royal Hoops takes on the fourth worst team in the NBA, the Memphis Grizzlies, who are now 10 games under 500 for the first time since 2019. And... I got to turn the music off for this next part because I cannot have happy theme music over a discussion of this last week of Memphis Grizzlies basketball in which the Grizzlies were blown out not once, not twice, but thrice three 20 plus point defeats starting on Wednesday against Houston after Dylan Brooks calls out the Grizzlies. They still have no fire, lose by 20 on the road, have one of the worst effective field goal percentage performances of the entire NBA season of any team. 37%. That is astronomically bad. Then in a marquee game on Black Friday against the Phoenix Suns, Phoenix Suns without Kevin Durant, I should mention, they still don't show up. Lose by 20 plus. Let Devin Booker drop 40 on their heads. Uh, We see one of the worst games of of the season for for Desmond Bain, and that certainly had to do with the uh, injury he sustained probably at the end of the Houston game. And then you're thinking, okay, if anything can wake, wake up, the hibernating Memphis Grizzlies. It's going to be a battle with their rival, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Karna, did that wake up the Memphis Grizzlies? No, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. Uh, no, it didn't. The, the Grizzlies are reminding me of my teenage years. Hard to wake up. Hard to wake up. <laughs> Hard to wake up. And Marcus Smart apparently thought that too because he lit into the team in one of those last timeouts against the Timberwolves in which – Bearing the lead, the Grizzlies once again lost by 20-plus to fall to 3-13 and 13 on the season. Way, way, way outside of the playoff standings. Perhaps digging a hole so deep they can't get out of it. But Marcus Smart's speech was the first time I kind of saw this framed as an effort question and not just a, an ability question and a poor play. Um, so that that was an interesting development, and we'll see if maybe he can inject a little bit of fire before their next game on Wednesday against Utah, which Karna. You may be there for, because we are both going to be in Memphis this weekend for the St. Jude Marathon weekend. You're getting there a little earlier than I am. How are you feeling ahead of your return to the M? I'm excited to be back in Memphis. I'm excited to be back where there's good food. Not saying there's bad food in Cleveland, but excited to be where there's good food. Um, Look. Am I excited to go to the game? Absolutely. I love FedEx Forum. The rendezvous nachos are amazing. Um, I am not excited. I, I think the atmosphere is going to be one that is lackluster. I think we've seen a lot of reports from people around the Grizzlies organization commenting on how the FedEx forum itself has changed um, in recent years or in recent uh, kind of weeks. So look, the Grizzlies need a wake up call. Maybe the jazz is a get right game, but I feel like we've been saying this all season, you know, Good efforts against good teams, bad efforts against bad teams. We're stuck in a rut. I don't know what brings us out of it. I I've exhausted all of my basketball reasoning to to see what has what has really improved in this team or what needs to improve in this team for us to get better. Other than the players, but um, that's easier said than done, I guess. It's pretty impressive to score under a hundred points in three straight NBA games in the modern NBA. 
especially since, you know, in these games, the Grizzlies were generally getting to the line, too. It's not like the refs were screwing them over. This was just historically bad offense by the Grizzlies, uh, a team that can't shoot threes, continuing to shoot threes, and a team that can't generate any easy looks inside the paint. But, Karna, let's just talk about something fun for a second. This isn't a college football podcast, but I just can't help myself, okay? As, As our resident Texas fan, I need you to tell me, what is the case for why one lost Texas would deserve to get over one to get into the playoff over one lost Oregon? Right, assuming we have a listener. Both, of, assuming got, both of them win yeah. their games this weekend. So we have a listener, Sam Stack. I hope you're listening, dude. I really hope you're listening because here it is. One, we have a common opponent, Texas Tech. We beat Texas Tech by 50 points. Oregon only beat Texas Tech by eight points earlier in the season. We have the best road win in the country, right, In um, going into Tuscaloosa and beating a world, apparently a world-beating team in Alabama, okay? So those are two key reasons. The third reason is Washington, the only thing that Oregon really has on its resume is a good loss which is a good loss against Washington. Have they beat very many other good good teams? I think Oregon State are a bunch of frauds. They proved that. Utah hasn't been good this year. Not only that, they didn't have their starting quarterback in Cameron Rising. So, look, there's plenty of reasons. We're not a college-involved podcast. You know, one thing me and my brother are thinking about starting a Texas football podcast. When that comes around, we will dissect this decision. But all that's to say, Texas deserves in over Oregon especially if they blow out OSU, which I predict will happen, hopefully. There's no resume argument you could make for Oregon, but no. the argument would be an eye test one, that I believe Oregon looks like a much better team. Much and better team? Yes. A much better team? Yes. No way. Dude, they have a senior citizen at quarterback. Are you kidding me? A senior no citizen way. who's probably about to win the Heisman, deservedly. No Unless way. it's Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is going to win the Heisman. Jayden, first of all, Jaden Daniels is having a Joe Burrow-esque season. His, his, everyone around him sucks. He leads that team in rushing and passing. No, that's crazy. But yeah. it's kind of bringing me back to uh, our debate over John Morant's 45-point <laughs> playoff games. It's in a winning, it's the in a winning effort problem with Jaden Daniels. You're like, yes, he's putting up incredible stats. I think he's an amazing quarterback. I think he should be getting yeah, more a, NFL draft love. It's a regular season award. I know, but, but thing, in a position that is most of all judged by wins or losses, it's okay. hard to give yeah. it somebody. Yeah, I don't agree with you, but we don't have to do all this. <laughs> this is an offline. We'll have this conversation at Young Avenue Deli. <laughs> Perfect. Well, yeah. we started it now, listeners. <laughs> Please reply in the comments whether yeah. one lost Texas or one lost Oregon should get in and who should win the Heisman. But that's it for the college football and non-basketball banter of the episode. Let's get right into the Royal Decrease. So, Karna, in today's show, we're going to start with our Royal Decrees, of course. Then we'll get into News of the Realm, where we'll discuss the Grizzlies signing two players under hardship waivers and predict the record for the nine games they have remaining until John Morant, John Morant returns in a little early Christmas gift for the Grizzlies and the entire city of Memphis. Um, and then in the Royal Court, we're going to debate whether this season is a blip on the radar or a scary sign of, of underlying problems in the organization. And because Karna is nicer guy than me wanted to keep it fun we're gonna have a little thanksgiving segment at the end 
to to end with some positive vibes. But yeah. Karna, let's hear that royal decree. But before we do, you know what you're contractually obligated to hear first, that gavel of justice. Go for it. My argument is not in favor or against tanking. So before, I'm just going to say that at the top. My only argument in my royal decree is if we are going to tank, if that is going to be the Warriors-esque season, which kind of belays my argument for the, for the royal court, the tanking needs to start now. It can't wait until, you know, we, we get Jaw back and see what happens. Then, then you're a middling team, and being a middling team is not where you want to be in the NBA draft. Something we discussed off air is the variance between the first five picks and the next five picks as far as NBA level talent. Now, this front office, if Gigi Jackson pans out, has proven itself that it can draft almost anywhere and it can draft well, right? Now, depending on how you feel about Roddy and Laravia, maybe there's some arguments against the front office's recent memory, but it becomes a whole lot easier to draft when you're in those first five picks. So my argument holistically is if you're going to tank, which I'm not saying you should, yet you have to start tanking right now. Today, needs that decision needs to be made. And then we need to build a strategy around tanking. Is it limiting Desmond Bain's minute? Is it limiting Jaron Jackson Jr.'s minute? Is it maybe, you know, sitting jaw a couple of games that maybe he doesn't need to? There's plenty of ways to tank uh, strategically. But that needs plan needs to be put in place today for the front office to be making that decision. See, I gotta disagree. My critique would be we gotta see what this team looks like with John Moran and with a relatively clean bill of health, which hopefully will come by the end of December. Um, because of course right now you have Marcus Smart, Luke Kennard, and Xavier Tillman out for the two to five week range. Um, John Morant coming back at the end of that span as well. When you have all those guys back together, if you're still not winning over half your basketball games, the tank is just kind of going to happen by itself. And you may take further steps along that way at the trade deadline. But this is such a long season, and the play-in format makes it even longer. It draws out the desire and the ability to get to the playoffs. So you got to give yourself a chance to see what you look like with John Morant. As bad as it looks now, maybe you start winning games and get into the playoff. Here, here's my or, or maybe you do exactly what you're doing right now, which is lose a whole bunch, and you don't have to like cost developmental minutes for your guys, but you still get one of those high draft picks. Right now, it my, seems very difficult to get the playoff, yeah. but it's not impossible. My only argument is if you keep delaying the decision to tank the tanking becomes less effective, right? If you go out there and you put your best, first of all, let's put injuries aside for a second because that more flows into the argument of whether or not they should be tanking. I think that's a pretty solid reason to tank as this is maybe a lost season for some of the younger players and we're already behind the eight ball or behind the ball a lot in the West. The question you ask yourselves is when John Moran comes back and how much of a deficit that we have to make up, are we contenders in the for the West, and I think the answer pans out is no for me at least. And I think that is reason right now for the front office to look and say, "Hey, we need a, at least a a solid plan in place or a go no go decision on tanking at a certain point in the season." Right? Are you so even? Let's say it's not today. I think it should be today. 
let's say we take King's point, then it should be within 10 games of John Morant coming back, right? So, but the further you delay that decision, the harder and harder it becomes to tank. The expected value of tanking goes down. What that means is the probability of you getting one of those five first picks becomes less and less and less. Assuming that the front office is competent and can win games, which Ed Taylor Jenkins's coaching staff is competent and can win games. So there's a lot of assumptions that flow into that decision. I just want that decision to be made now. And I don't care if we go back and we say, hey, we're going to tr- try it and we're going to win games and we're going to give deliver the fan, fans a good product. If that's a decision, that's also a fine decision. It just needs to be made today or like soon. <laughs> so my confusion is like, what would you do be- outside of what you're doing right now to tank? Because right now they're three and 13, have the fourth worst record in the league. And it's not a fluke. They have the fourth worst net rating in the league as well by trying and i guess you could say play the young guys more over guys like conchar um like you you fully go the see what you have strategy to use your phrase with laravia roddy zaire kinney etc um but are you going to take desmond bain jaron jackson jr and once he's healthy john morant off the floor kind of like the blazers did the end of the season with dame lillard or are you just saying you're kind of not putting the best possible roster around your three main guys, but otherwise kind of letting them do their thing. Both. It, it's a combination of all of those things, right? It needs to be limiting John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Jaron Jackson Jr.'s minutes as much as you possibly can. Um, it's playing the young guys that you know, probably. You'll see a lot more Jacob Gilliard moments, probably. Um, you'll see a lot more Jake Laravia in the lineup when he's not injured. Um, things like that will be indications that we are planning on tanking. Um, it's harder to do. Uh, this is why, this is my point though. It's like, it's harder to do when you have three guys that can just show up. It's not going to be like the Spurs or the Rockets tank where they're just throwing guys out there who have no business being on an NBA floor. That's just not possible because we have guys that deserve to be on NBA floors and in fact are all NBA level talents. Um, well, Maybe not Jaron anymore. I don't know. We're going to have to get into that too. Yeah. Listen, I I hear you. Um, I just don't think that's necessarily fair to Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant to in a moment where they're in the peak of their career, at least should be, and a healthy season to not let them see what they can accomplish even individually. Forget it not being fair to those three guys. It's not fair to the city of Memphis. It's not fair to a lot of stakeholders in Memphis as well. That being said, do you want to win a cha- – this is not the year that we're going to win a championship. I think we both agree on that. Yeah, right? of course. I think a, a, a fair counterpoint to what I'm saying is, okay, so is every year you're not going to win a championship a year that you're going to tank, right? And the answer is no. I don't think it it's, should be, no. I don't think it should be. But the chances of us not making the playoffs have increased exponentially, and they increase each game that we lose, right? And every game yeah. that we lose, the expected value of tanking or, or the value that tanking has to the organization, it becomes easier and that makes it a little bit more plausible of a strategy is my argument. And that and we need to either pick a strategy, either tanking or not tanking. Again, I'm, I'm fully okay saying not tanking is a strategy, um, but we need to pick one. And because... As we the season continues, right, it's going to get better. I fully believe it's going to get better. My question is, do we want it to get better? Do we want to be 
a 10th seed or 11th seed or just outside of the playoffs looking at an okay draft pick or do we want to be last in the West looking at the best draft pick we can possibly get? That's just a question that I think the front office really needs to decide. And it, it, part of this that we're not talking about, the big piece that we're not talking about is, is there anyone in the top five that you're willing to do this for? No, that's right? the thing. If, if that's there was a Victor Wimbignana in this yeah. next draft, then of course <laughs> there's a lot more value to tanking. And you might even say as a team in the Grizzlies position that has a roster that's otherwise built to win, but just having a terrible season, injury, suspension, poor play, whatnot, yeah. that, okay, this makes a lot of sense for us to tank because we can add a win now generational talent by getting towards the bottom of the draft. But I, I there's, don't buy there's that. Not that. The flag is that guy. I just don't buy that. I, no. I don't. Or, or, he's in the next draft. Sorry. Uh, or like. Or Alexander Saar or. Yeah. You know. Or like some it, international I, guy. I'm just not sure yeah. what the expected value of that is. But that earlier draft pick also turns into trade capital too. Something to think about. But yeah. I, let's move on to your royal take. It's just. I'm just saying let's make the let's make the decision now. Let's yeah. let's not wait, you know, 10 20 games down the road and then be like, "Oh, we're now we're tanking." It's like, "Okay, cool. Now your tanking strategy becomes a whole, whole lot more difficult and the payoff of tanking becomes a whole lot less um plausible or or, or there." And I say they are tanking right now, trying or not. And so you might as well let the let the yeah. thing continue to play out, and maybe you improve enough to get the play on. Maybe maybe the tank in happens terms on of suspension own. for Jaw eighty two games. <laughs> All right, let's get to my rule decree, which is more about the play on the floor. Yeah, Garnet, stop me if you've heard this before. The Grizzlies are shooting too many three pointers. No, I've never heard. That's that's an awful <laughs> thing that we haven't been talking about since the Jazz game. <laughs> no, but I just I have to say it again because it was such the story of these last three games, um, in which, as I said, the Grizzlies failed to score over 100 in any of the three games, lost by 20 plus in each. The Grizzlies are the bottom of the NBA in true shooting percentage, 30 out of 30, and yet they're fourth in the NBA in three pointers attempted at 40 per game. But if you look in their three wins, they're averaging 35 threes per game. Now, I know it's not that simple. It's not like a one-to-one correlation, shoot less threes, win more games. But even with this injury-destroyed roster, you have better paint scoring potential than three-point shooting. You need to give Jaron Jackson Jr. more post-ups. Even in this terrible season that he's having, he is above average in terms of the points per play when he posts up. Give Desmond Bain opportunities to be downhill Des. He's actually got a high, higher two-point percentage than Anthony Edwards. He's generating good looks inside the paint. I actually think his mid-range pull-up is one of his most effective shots. Let David Roddy, Derrick Rose, and Santi Aldama attack the basket. You still need to space the floor, but your offense can't be built around jacking it up because you don't have the shooters to do that. You do have some people who can create inside the arc. Um, try to play inside out. Can't get worse, right? So um, you might as well try to play to your strengths. And, and one person in particular, Jaron Jackson Jr., has had a terrible stretch. In his last seven games, he's shooting 30% from the floor. Um, he is not the go-to offensive option that he was when John Morant was suspended last season or that he was at times earlier this season. But giving him the ball in the paint where he's most effective is, uh, is probably the best way to jumpstart him. And as we said with the tanking thing, it can't get worse. What you're doing right now is already leading 
to a tank already leading to a lost season. Um, but you know, one thing's not working and that's being one of the top five teams in the NBA in terms of three pointer attempted because you're not a good three point shooting team. This is all I'll say on this. This is an off. This is a philosophy thing. And this is, this is my larger point about tanking too, is like the philosophy needs to be put in place to make strategic decisions that make sense. Right. Tanking is an intentional thing that you do. Shooting three-pointers is an intentional decision-making uh, part of the coaching philosophy. But we don't have the personnel for it, right? It, it, it's like if a team wants to score a bunch of rushing touchdowns in the NFL but has no good running back. It makes no sense to implement something like that. You're shooting yourself in the foot, right? We have Desmond Bain. He's a great shooter. Is he a generational shooter like Stephen Curry was? No. I would say he's probably a worse three-point percent shooter than James Harden was when he was shooting threes. Not only that, sure, there was a ton of things about James Harden games that were uh, James Harden game that was different than Desmond Bain. Look, we have a guy who can post up. He's pretty effective down there. Let's give him more touches. I couldn't agree more with this royal take or royal decree. It comes down to our player personnel, right? All the analytics and all the offensive philosophy will tell you to do one thing, but if you don't have the players to execute. Then the philosophy is no good. So I'm 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 with you. Uh, I think we sh- I stamped that royal decree. Prior to these last three games, they were technically speaking, in terms of their ranking in the NBA, better at three point shooting than two point shooting. That is now flipped. The Grizzlies are now the worst three point shooting team in the NBA. What we a fun it. stat to to look up. Shooting thirty two point seven percent, and now to an extent, just variance is going to bring that number up. You would expect, but. Um, when you're the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA, you shouldn't be shooting the fourth most threes. I think that's a pretty simple argument. But well, let's, let's like let's think about the eye test for a second, right? Like you're having David Roddy shoot a bunch of three-pointers. Like that, the he's not an NBA level three-point shooter. Shooting twenty-five um, percent, exactly. Yeah, he's just not that guy. Why are we expecting him to suddenly become that guy? So yeah. that, that's a microcosm of a larger issue that the Grizzlies, I think, are having, which is which is something you brought up earlier, is where we don't have a solid identity. Um, and I think going to and I think part of the reason that we're shooting poorly within the arc is because of what we're doing outside of the arc. I mm-hmm. think if you play inside out rather than outside in, you're gonna see the two point percentage increase. And you might even see the efficacy of the three point percentage increase because teams are now cheating down low. And you have more open shots for your average to subpar shooters. And hopefully they can knock those down. If they can, that's another data point that tells you that your offensive philosophy of jacking up three-pointers isn't working. Some notable notable two-point percentage numbers. Bismack Biombo, of course, only shoots twos. He's shooting 59% inside the arc. He'll certainly take that as he's not known as a great finisher. Marcus Smart, 57% inside the arc. Santi Aldama, 54% inside the arc. David Roddy, also 54%. Desmond Bain, as I mentioned, 51.5%. Now, Jaron is struggling in there, 47%. Zaire Williams, terrible, 42%. But a lot of your guys who are shooting a high volume of threes and not doing it very well are doing, as you might expect, a whole lot better closer to the basket. Let's try to get them some looks there. I know the counter argument is you're not generating good looks. You don't have people to create for themselves. I just told you one way. Get Jaron post touches. Um, Let's let some of our guys like Santi Aldama and and David Roddy have opportunities to just attack the basket, um, at least on a closeout. So 
Let's transition now, though, to news of the realm. Okay, for news of the realm, we, of course, need to hear those trumpets. Karna, the Grizzlies signed two players, Jalen Noel and Shaq Harrison, to 10-day hardship contracts because they have six players out for at least two weeks. Noel got into last night's game and actually was the only Grizzlies player to be positive in the plus-minus. He had four points, five rebounds, three assists in 13 minutes. It is a very sad state of existence when the Grizzlies need an ex-Timberwolf to give themselves some juice. That used to be the Grizzlies, who were taking advantage of the Timberwolves' lack of of energy. Um, But regardless, some extra depth can't hurt. And also, Shaq Harrison was on the Grizzlies over the preseason. He just got cut in the roster crunch, but he was already somebody the front office identified as being a helpful player. So, Carter, with the Grizzlies now carrying three extra players beyond their normal 15, do you think any of these players, Noel, Harrison, or Biombo, will stay on the roster once Jaw returns? And if so, which current Grizzlies player should be cut to, to make that room? Um, Biombo has to stay. So let's just get that out of the way. He's not replacing anyone because of injury hardship or like because they're going to be out for two weeks. He's replacing somebody who's going to be out for the season. Um, and may not be on the team next year, right? He's replaced. He's filling that Steven Adams role, so he's not going anywhere. Um, as far as guys who can be cut or will be on the roster come, you know, December, January, February, do I think Noah or Harrison will be on the roster? Maybe if they show up in these next couple games, some guys that you could see maybe go down. Or LaRavia. Um, I would hesitate to say that anyone on the roster, just because of age, um, and this sucks to say, but I I can guess this how my maybe front offices might think. Front offices don't like to be wrong. Um, and the easiest way not to be wrong is forcing a situation when you're not wrong. And cutting a guy like LaRavia or Roddy is confirming to a fan base, an already pretty angry fan base, that you drafted wrong. That's so, facts. Do I think that they're going to cut some of those guys now? I think Biombo stays, and then we we figure it out. Maybe we make a trade, but he has to stay. Um, so that's my only argument. Noel and Harrison are not long for the Grizzlies roster, I would say. Um, what, are we carrying three over, you said? Yeah. Yeah, so we cut Noel, Harrison, so now there needs to be a decision made. Maybe you see Lofton go. Maybe That's been the most common one because he's yeah. only on a one-year deal. Um, yeah. I would say you probably see Lofton go, but it, yeah. it sucks to say because I think he's a dynamic player that can be used in a couple different ways, but I, I think LaRavia and Roddy were spent too much draft capital on, so that's what I would guess is Lofton. I think your assumption's not wrong that the front office is going to be very hesitant to get rid of those guys. Let me propose a model where they could in a way that might actually be helpful and stomachable for, for Zach Kleiman. So Biombo needs to stay, plain and simple. You don't have Steven Adams for the season. You probably don't have Brandon Clark for the season. He and Santi Aldama have the best net ratings of all rotation players for the Grizzlies. Biombo and Santi Aldama do. Biombo has transformed the Grizzlies rebounding. Personally, I would be looking for a two-for-one trade to make this roster crunch work. Something like Jake LaRavia and Zaire Williams for an established player, post or wing. Someone like Alex Caruso, who's part of a 
team that's very clearly tanking in the Chicago Bulls right down the road from me. Um, they might not take Jake Laravia and Zaire Williams and a pick for Alex Caruso, and that's a lot to pay for them anyway. But the pick might be the tantalizing effect. And, and frankly, Alex Caruso is not a player you want on a tanking team. He is very helpful in the moment. He doesn't have much of a future upside. So maybe they want to take a shot at LaRavia and Williams. Or if you want to get more expensive and trade away somebody you actually do like on the roster, you could go something like Brandon Clark and Zaire Williams for Bojan Bogdanovic in Detroit. The The math works out on this. And again, Detroit may not care about Zaire Williams. They probably like Brandon Clark, but they're already absolutely saturated with posts. Maybe they think he can be um, the most dynamic fit alongside one of their centers. So that's what I would try to do. And if that doesn't work, I, I think that I would be more willing to cut a player like Laravia than I would be to cut a player like Lofton because it's not just a what have you done for me lately. It's what have you done for me at all? And Jake LaRavia has done nothing. And Kenny Lofton at least has shown that he's a G League monster with uh, some juice to provide on an NBA floor as well. But Karna, it's getting desperate here. The Grizzlies have nine games before Jaw returns. I'm going to read them to you here in a moment. I just want you to predict their record in the last part of our News of the Realm segment. Okay? Okay. Here are the nine remaining games. Wednesday, home versus Utah where you will hopefully be in attendance. Then Friday at Dallas, Saturday at Phoenix. There's going to be another game in there somewhere, uh, December 6th and 8th. They're going to have a another loser's bracket team inserted into the schedule. Um, but then after those two play-in games, you have Monday, December 11th versus Dallas, Wednesday, December 13th at Houston, Friday, December 15th, home versus Houston, then Monday, December 18th at OKC, before Jaw is finally able to return by all indications on Tuesday, December 19th against the Pelicans. So we don't know two of these games that will be played presumably on December 6th and 8th, one at home, one on the road. But of the, of those nine games, how many do you think turn in to Grizzlies wins? So it depends on how much you believe I'm a good luck charm for the Grizzlies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, look, I think we beat the Jazz. We finally overcome that hurdle. That'll be big, right? Beating the Jazz. Mm-hmm. Everyone feel good oh, about yeah. that. That's where we are in the season. <laughs> yeah. Um, celebrating the win against the Jazz. Look, if we beat the Jazz, that'll be good. It's an easy win. Sorry, let me, let me not say that. <laughs> it should be an easy win. Um, against a team that is actively not trying to win. Um, another case that maybe taking is harder than it looks. Um, so that's one. I, I think we win that game. My only flex is so my prediction is we go two and seven or three and six. The, the, the big dependency on that is the extra win that I have is do we go back to back against the Rockets? Right? Those are winnable games, even though we drop to them by 20. It was competitive in certain moments. They're not a team that's hard to necessarily shut down. Um, Well, it felt like that in our last game, but mostly that was because of our a whole lot of different things. But those are winnable games. 
and I want us to win those three games. If we win those three games and go three and six, I'll be happy. Um, the dependency is, do, does the Memphis Grizzlies show up against the Rockets? I don't know, especially at home. That I, I guarantee you it's going to be a well-attended game, at least more attended than the last couple of games because Dylan Brooks has returned to Memphis. Do you defend home I believe court? that's a Friday as well, yeah. If you let Dylan Brooks, whatever team Dylan Brooks is on, win at home in the FedEx Forum, then we need to have a uh, issue. We need I we should have a sit down about Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s leadership, because there should be no case where Dylan Brooks can step on the court in FedEx Forum. First of all, every time he touches the ball, he should be booed after what he said about the team. Not necessarily his con- about his contribution to Memphis, but what he said yeah, about the team. I agree that that was the death knell. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I might not have been booing him every possession just based on his poor performance for the Grizzlies, but. After he's then going to turn around and act like he was the the missing piece all along, and yeah. criticize the team from afar. No, he's getting. He booed. should absolutely be booed to, to a respectful amount, but no, 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 like full beer cans being thrown at him or whatever. I think that really happens in basketball as much. <laughs> but I've seen it in college football, but don't. So no mustard throwing at thrown at him. Shout out Neeland. Um uh, so all that all that's to say is, look, that's a game you wake up for. That's a game that you win. I'm gonna take that as my second win, and then you go to you go to Houston and beat Dylan Brooks at home too. And we we take a three one record against or, or two and one record against the Rockets. So that's my yeah. three wins, three and six. Give me yeah. your prediction. The road game at Houston is first, then home against Houston. Yeah. So if if you lose that road game in Houston, and then you come home and lose again, Dylan Brooks beat you twice, and the second time on your home floor just blow it up <laughs> that, that's the decision bro. if we lose that that's the taking decision now we just uh, that we're taking the whole time that's what we say um i would love to know who they're playing on december 6th and 8th we know that they won't be teams in the end season tournament so that's helpful they're probably going to be uh at least semi bad teams as well but my the thing i wrote down was two and seven as well so you get one against the rockets and i really think they're going to beat the jazz on wednesday because if Marcus Smart can do nothing else, at least he knows how to yell at a team and knows how to be the, the driving force, the galvanizing force behind the team. I think his his little uh, spat, um, his little yelling session in the huddle will have a, an immediate impact on Wednesday. And we're going to see a team determined not to lose three to Utah. I mean, that would just be embarrassing on so many levels. Um so yeah, I'm I'm going with two and seven, and that would put you at five and twenty when John Morant returns. You'd have to go thirty-five and twenty-two to get to the forty-win plateau, which is what it took to get into the playoffs last year. That seems impossible given what we've seen from the Grizzlies this season. John Morant is going to have to have the biggest impact on winning he's ever had, and guys around him are going to have to get healthy and play the best they have all season. So. Real, real, real quick, King. I've heard, I've heard that statistic. That's by by the way, for all those percentage people out there, that's a sixty plus percent win percentage yeah. over the next fifty seven games. My question is: Is that was that the play, to get into the play in? Just to get to the ten seed last year, yeah, you had to get to forty wins. That was the mark last year. So then, my argument is this: Then, real quick, going back to the tanking thing, if that seems impossible or or close to impossible, why isn't tanking more on the table? I mean, 
I just think that what you would do to tank, it's too early in the season to do that because it's mm-hmm. not fair to Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain to hmm. take them off the court when they are near the prime of their career. And, you know, maybe they're not necessarily playing for a contract, but they're playing for their NBA legacies. And in this NBA where we have people missing entire seasons in a row, it, you shouldn't have somebody miss a healthy season. So mm-hmm. if, the, if the thing to do to tank would be to take those guys off the floor, that's not something you're going to do until the very end of the season. Yeah, okay. I, I, I think that that's about keeping your stars happy, but nothing keeps a star happier than winning a championship. That really solidifies a legacy. Like, do you care about winning like or becoming a fringe all-star or do you care about winning a championship right like i i guess that's not the, that's not exactly the decision right but just something that, something for grizzlies fan i think a lot of grizzlies fans are at that point right along where with the front office should be which is like do we tank or do we not tank um and i think we should get into that next episode but just something to consider as as we look forward into the season is there's going to be a lot of times where we're going to be like is this the time now where we or is this the tipping point into tanking um, and it could be this next stretch. We go zero and nine. Is that <laughs> it's we, feasibly possible? What one thing King and I were talking about before the before we started the episode is it's more plausible that we go zero and nine because these are teams that we've actively lost against. The teams that we just said we'd win against are teams that we've actively lost against by large by large margins. It's more plausible that we go zero and nine than nine and zero. So mm-hmm. I think that's a very that's a very interesting time. To, as far as where we were last year and the year before that to our, our the year we're currently having to have that discussion of going oh and nine rather than nine and nine and now something to just think about yeah crazy that that is a possibility i think that's a good transition to our second to last segment since we got a little bonus one at the end okay in our last segment the royal court karna we're going to be debating whether this horrific start to the season is a blip on the radar or a sign of struggles to come. Karna, what do you think? Is this is this something that's just going to be completely forgotten in a year's time? Or are there signs of, of deeper problems with the franchise? I hate to answer this question in this way, but I think this reveals one thing that is systemic in the organization, and that means signs of things to come, which is the front office has done a bad job evaluating talent. Um, and that means internally and really externally, right? But by who we're drafting in the last couple of years, David Roddy and Jake LaRavia are not draftable talents. We've come to realize that. I think it has been a black mark on the organization for their evaluation of Jacob Gilliard coming into the, the mix so late. So I think there's a lot of things that the front office has done where it has to look itself in the mirror and say, we were successful with John Moran. We were successful with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain was an all, maybe an all-time find. What have you done for me lately? What have we done lately that has improved this team? And I think the answer is very little. So I, I think that this could, that how it reflects, how the tanking, or sorry, not tanking, but how the recent performance or this season has played out could be a sign of things to come from a front office perspective. From a talent perspective that we currently have, it's a blip in the radar, right? Like John Morant, 25 games out, you know, from a talent perspective, we have all the pieces, maybe missing one or two pieces. Um, 
but we, we lost those pieces largely due to injury, which the front office can't control. But put all that aside, from a, a talent perspective, we have most of the pieces that we need to win a championship and make competitive runs for years to come. Um, and that's also credit to the front office. But I think it's a blip on the radar for our talent. It is a longer term issue for, or it's maybe a sign of things to come for a front office. And that's scary to me because that's how dynasties are built. So that that's my point. It, it's two sides. That's a good, yeah, that's a good distinction. And I have a distinction to make as well, but kind of on the opposite side. I'm, I'm calling it mostly a blip on the radar considering three of your top six players have missed the entire season thus far, that being Brandon Clark, Steven Adams, and, and John Moran. And many more rotation players have missed significant time. Of course, we've got Marcus Smart sidelined for three to five weeks. Luke Kennard has barely played this season. Um, other guys like Xavier Tillman have been in and out of the lineup. These are all more helpful than the guys you're putting out on the floor. But there are concerning things long-term for the Grizzlies, too. One of them are Jaron Jackson Jr.'s struggles offensively. He has not answered the bell of being a go-to scorer, of being a night-in, night-out, impactful offensive player, which is what you needed him to be with John Morant suspended. The other concerning thing is none of your young wings look like surefire rotation guys for years to come. Okay, I'm talking mostly about David Roddy, Jake Laravia, Zaire Williams. David Roddy's the closest. At this point, I like seeing him out on the floor because at least you can guarantee he's going to give effort and do something. Zaire has flashes, but he also has the worst net rating on the team. By the way, Jaron is second worst net rating, so another concerning stat for him. And then you have Laravia, who is indisputably terrible at this moment. <laughs> so, so that's the concerning thing is that you've been trying in the past few years to win on the margins with your drafting to try to get some some young guys who you know aren't going to be stars you're just trying to draft role players at this point and you're trying to get guys that you're going to be able to keep around for cheap on their rookie deal and they're going to be able to contribute while on that deal none of them look ready to do that and when you combine that drafting issue, which relates to your front office take, and then also combine that with Jaron not being what he needs to be, which is your second best player, then there are some things that could limit this team's championship ceiling. I mean, I, I agree. I, I think one thing I will maybe push back on is, Look, I've I've been the one that has really, really gotten after Jaron as a player, and and we we both have said critical things. But one of my one of my rule of decrees was he has a big game problem, which is proven to be true m multiple mm -hmm. times. I, I and it's it's actually contradictory to what something I and I'll put my hand up for this too. Something contradictory to what I said earlier in the podcast or earlier when we started podcasting is Jaron needs job. I was wrong about that. First of all, let's just start there. I was wrong about that. I, I do think there are some chemistry issues with Jaw and Jaron, but I don't think either of us expected Jaron to look this lost without Jaw on the floor. And that's because he of didn't it. last year. Yeah, he did not look like that last year. And there was a lot of data points to, to at least come up with some of the research that I came up with, or, or at least come up with some of the arguments I came up with. But from the beginning of the season, Jaron's missing something. I think it has to do with jaw. 
I think it's a chem. I, it is scary how bad he looks sometimes, how lost he looks on the floor. And it's not just he's missed shots and, you know, he's not, he, sometimes he just looks like he's passing the ball off. There's games earlier in the season where literally he would do nothing with the ball other than pass and pick. And I think, I think it's a really great point. Jaron, Jaron looks lost. That is scary for us. I hope it is a blip on the radar. But look, all the time in Paris did not do him any good. And and stop stop. This goes back to another take. Stop with the Twitter. Like Jaron's gonna take the next step. I've said this before. I say it again. Look, I, I think you're right. I, I think he has a he has a big game problem, and more specifically, it is a concerning sign for as we make our championship runs, hopefully in 2025. Yeah. Do you need Jaron to be an All Star level player on both ends? He hasn't been that on either end this season that includes his defense which has really slipped of late as well but we got to have some positivity so let's finish this out with a segment you came up with Karna coming up with one thing we are thankful for for the Grizzlies this season so it's actually a two-part segment it's a holiday segment okay. one Thanksgiving one Christmas what okay. is one thing you're thankful for for this season all right right Thanksgiving type stuff and then what is one thing that you want to see under the Grizzlies Christmas tree delivered by Basketball Santa? I love it. First thing, what are you thankful for? I am thankful for Desmond Bain's continued growth and the fact that this 6'5 guy with short arms continues to defy every expectation for him and become not just a spot-up shooter, but an offensive hub to become a creator for himself and others. And I really talked about it last episode, so don't want to fully rehash all that now. But suffice to say, Desmond Bain as a pick-and-roll ball handler, Desmond Bain taking dribble handoffs, um, Desmond Bain attacking the basket, is working in ways you never would have thought possible a couple years ago. Now, one thing is not working as well uh, that's, that's dropped off of late is Desmond Bain in isolation. Let's not do that anymore. He needs a little help to get open. But he is capable of creating his own shot and creating for others. They drafted him to be a stand in the corner and make 40% of your threes, guys. He has become so much more than that, and that is the biggest upside the Grizzlies' future has, is that the guy they took number 30 overall might just be a consistent all-star. He's a top 10 third best player in the league. (laughs) I like that rating, okay. Yeah, which is incredible for someone who's drafted 30th. You know, there are these super teams. We have built one, or we have built a championship. I won't call it a super team yet, but we've built a solid core with our um, homegrown talent, which is awesome to see. One thing I'm thankful for um, is being in a position where we have expectations, Mm. right? That is something that I think is very rare for some fan bases, right? As a part-time Rockets fan, right? And, a, you know, as a you, you imagine the fan bases of the Utah Jazz, the Portland Trailblazers. At least our team has some expectations around them. So I'm – and I know that's pretty low, but I'm thankful for that. So, King, okay, transitioning to the second part of the segment, what is something that you want to see Basketball Santa leave under, hopefully, Zach Kleiman's tree? Or Taylor Jenkins. 
I'll go back to something I said earlier in the episode. I would love to see them execute a successful two-for-one trade to get a veteran on this roster, somebody who's ready to play now. Because I don't want to give up all the young guys, and so the guy I would be most willing to keep is David Roddy. But if you pair Zaire Williams and uh, and Jake LaRavia together, go get a player like Alex Caruso, or even somebody a little worse than that, it would be awesome. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich, who could just fill it up and be a fantastic, probably like six man for this team to come off the bench and just give them a scoring spark. Um, that would be amazing. So some capable veteran role player joining this team at the expense of one of these young guys who's doing nothing for us. That would yeah. be my Grizzlies Christmas yeah. gift. And, and it's interesting you say that. I, I think that that is a very good indication. It, doing something like that is a very good indication that the Grizzlies are not tanking. So if you see yeah. that, that could be your, your decision point that says, okay, the front office is telling us as a fan base that we are not tanking. Yeah, and one, one thing to add to that is a great point. Um, I would not do somebody who's on a one-year deal yeah. because it's not worth it for this season to give up anything. Um you would need to get somebody who's at least locked up for next year too, mm-hmm. in which case it's not just a move to try to salvage this season. It, it's a move to improve your championship odds moving forward. Yeah. Um, one thing I would like to see under the Christmas tree this year for the Memphis Grizzlies is, and this is kind of contradicting your point, but it's an either or thing. Zaire Williams just improving. Like we It'd be amazing. We were so hyped on the guy, and I, I see, and I see like Grizzlies. It's been a tough year for him. The effort was there in the preseason. I think the effort's still there. I think he wants to be good, and I think he's answered a lot of those questions. It just hasn't worked out for him on the floor just yet. Um, that's the only thing I, I want to see just for him. You know, whether he ends up in a Grizzlies jersey next year or not. I just want to see for him, him to like figure it out on the floor. And yeah, it'll help the Grizzlies, but just reaching that potential. It's always cool to see a kid reach his potential. And um, that's a teacher in me, I guess. But that's what I want to see from the Grizzlies going forward. And hopefully what's under the Christmas tree. I don't think it'll be. He's obviously very well liked too. Um, Everybody says he's a great guy, very hardworking. So yeah, I would love to see that for him personally, but... Karn, I'm going to be less greedy. I'll say, can one of these young wings have a good month, okay? <laughs> can they just put together a month of encouraging basketball to where there's one of them that I would be sad if they were put in a trade? Here's, here's a stocking stuffer for you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, you Jackson? It's, yeah, it's time to... Right? Why not let him I, I, Why not? Why not is a great question. And I, and I think the why not is like, he's not physically ready or... You know, you're still waiting. Youngest to see player in the NBA, yeah. yeah, yeah. He'd be like the youngest player in the NBA, and, and there's some like baseball philosophy around bringing a guy up too early. I don't know if it applies to basketball as much, but look, that would be incredible. It would definitely give a spark to the fan base, whether you're tanking or not tanking. Seeing a young, the youngest player in the NBA ball out, even for one day. I mean, we were a playoff team last year, and seeing uh, Kenny Lofton Jr. drop. 40 was exciting. It was, that game yeah. meant nothing. And it was still exciting and generated excitement in the fan base. So it's something to think about. Gigi Jackson averaging 23 points per game, 6.6 rebounds per game, two assists per game, shooting 41% from three in eight games with the hustle. 
he's not going to make you worse. And if he does, you take him off the floor. Why is he not at least entering the Do back it. end of your rotation? I Do don't it. know. So yeah, that's, that's a great stocking stuffer. Yeah. Karna, any last thoughts? Well, I mean, keep the hope. Look, I know, I know it's a tough, it's been a tough season. Heck, it's a tough time in Memphis. I'm excited to go back. I love that city. I love this team. Just keep with it. It's going to suck for a little while, tanking or no tanking. Look, there's been recent, I'm not going to get into it, but there's been recent indications that the Grizzlies are not basic on the top of the NBA's fun or willingness to cut slack to list, if that makes sense. We are not the league favorite. I yeah. think there's been a really, really obvious indication recently that we are not the best on this. It's Memphis versus everybody. It always has been. Let's go out and win games, right? I don't want to say we're playing for the franchise to be in Memphis because we're not, because I think that will be around for a while. But anytime there's relocation, there's oh, they're always talking about moving it from Memphis. We love this team. We love this city. Keep watching. Keep listening. Do whatever you need to on Spotify, YouTube, but keep watching the games. Keep engaged with the team because you don't want to be labeled a fair weather fan. You definitely don't want to be labeled that. No. And that championship's coming. That parade down Beale's coming. I guarantee it. It may be eyeball gouging inducing to have to watch your team get cooked by the Timberwolves um, and get cooked by Dylan Brooks in a week. But stick with them. Um, there are brighter days ahead. And and honestly, brighter days in less than a month when Jaw returns. At the least, they'll be fun then. Karna, any goals for Saturday's race? <laughs> I called them to see if they could switch my half. So my hip's been hurting, so I called them to, switch, to see if they'll switch my half marathon to a 10k they said no so no. my hip not my leg not falling off is, is the main goal but finishing I, sounds like which yeah. is amazing and uh, by the way they have shots and snacks uh, at one point along the race i'm very excited to be back in the m it is an incredible city and the St. Jude Memphis Marathon is a great example of that. It's just it's it's a really cool moment. Um I like that the course is more downtown this year. So hopefully uh that will be it will have good weather. Um it can't be worse than the Great Lakes, but that's it for Hoops Royalty bringing you Royal Hoops takes on the Memphis Grizzlies and NBA. Real quick. It's been a, it's been a grind this season, but but we're ready for it. Go ahead, Karna. King, if this if this podcast gets 100,000 likes, We'll get a 901 tattoo. Yeah, of course. 100%. Okay. Bet. Bet. I'll, get a, I'll get a Hoops royalty tattoo. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> but we're ready for the grind. After all, this is a podcast about Grind City. But please like and subscribe on YouTube. Carner just set the stakes for that one. Five-star reviews and nice comments wherever you listen to this podcast. We'll be back next week. And Karna and I will both have finisher medals from St. Jude Memphis Marathon Weekend. But that's it for us this week. Thanks for listening and have a great start to the holiday season.